you guys ready for your next podcast? Yeah! yeah. I'm so excited. I've listened to a few episodes. It's wonderful. Your next podcast is called Afternoonified. Everybody, please be prepared to explore the weird side of science, history, and the paranormal with your outstanding hosts, Emily Faye Coleman and Ryan Haggerty. Please give it up for Afternoonified! Thanks, one person. <laughs> and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast that's right here in front of you right now. I'm Ryan. And I'm Emily. It's a live show! <laughs> Thank you. Um, no I think theme? we're supposed to have theme music at some point, but I figured it wasn't your fault. No, it's right. Chris? Oh. Oh, there it was. That was okay. fun. So for anyone who's never listened, we do a cold open every time, so that was probably really awkward for everyone who's never listened um, to our show before. That's really setting the tone. Um, it's so, going to be good. Uh, hi, we are, we are not collectively afternoon. I guess we are. We I are. don't know. Um, I am afternoonified. So we're going to introduce our guest, Anthony Hudson, who um, is going to tell us a little bit about himself. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I feel <laughs> best distance between <laughs> us. I didn't mean for it to be like this. It's a lot further than I thought it was going to be. I feel like like I'm in like a SAT, DMV, kind of <laughs> acronym-based exam <laughs> at the moment. But yeah, I'm, I'm Anthony Hudson. Some of you might know me better as my uh, demonic clown persona, Carla Rossi, Portland's premier drag clown. Uh, for the sake of the radio, I am in full clown drag right now. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's top notch. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for great. putting that effort into a non-visual medium. We it appreciate would, you know, it. It's just half makeup and half chemical spill. <laughs> Isn't that how all of the greats came into existence? Elvis. All of them. Spider-Man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah uh, I'm, I'm a drag clown around town, uh, and I am a horror hostess as well. I host Queer Horror every other month at the historic Hollywood Theater. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Come on, guys. That goes to Emily. I don't know. And I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Technical difficulties. It this was very technically yeah. difficult. Oh, you hey. Get the we have a slideshow. Hey. Um, I've never seen this before, so I'm going to be looking yeah, behind me a lot. Um, I like that I did a PowerPoint for a podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Uh, I am going to put it on Instagram later in some form, so you guys are cool. Uh, not you guys. You guys can see it, I assume. I'm sorry to any blind guests we might have. That was super insensitive of me. I, for one, am writing an open letter after this. <laughs> I mean, it's really just about any kind of participation. Angry so. tweets. Yeah. Um, so we are going to be talking about real-life mad scientists. Not those guys. Uh, they're not real. I mean, they're people, but, you know. 
Um, this is going to be a lot of me shrugging like that. Okay, so <laughs> before we talk about real mad scientists, we're going to talk about kind of like the history of where that trope came from because it has to come from somewhere. Um, so Ryan, why don't you give us like the Wikipedia lowdown on what right. a mad scientist is? This is pretty much straight from Wikipedia, so if it sounds really smart, it's not me. Um, so a mad scientist can also be called a mad doctor or a mad professor. It's a caricature of a scientist who is described as mad or insane, owing to a combination of unusual or unsettling personality traits and the unabashedly ambitious, taboo, and or hubristic, a word I don't know, nature of their experiments. I'll explain it later, never mind. <laughs> She'll have to give me a dictionary after we're done. Um, I already lost my spot. Hubristic. Hub is it like a depression era word? It, yeah, you don't hear it much it's, anymore. It means they're overly confident. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why didn't they just say overly confident? Because someone with a thesaurus wrote this Wikipedia entry. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> As a motif in fiction, the mad scientist may be villainous, also called an evil genius. They explained that one for me. Or antagonistic, benign or neutral, maybe insane, eccentric, clumsy for some reason is a trope. I've never known Are you a mad scientist? scientist? Hey. <gasps> I might be. Oh, that explains so much. Why clumsy though? I don't understand the clip of them being tr clumsy. Uh, they gotta, uh, yeah, they gotta oh. fuck some stuff up occasionally. Maybe, uh, oh, Drop yeah, in okay. test tubes. Oh, okay, that explains a lot about the research I did. Okay, Ryan we'll is get learning into that. Too. I'm learning so much right now. Um, they often work with fictional technology or they fail to recognize or value common human objections to their actual, to attempting to play God. <laughs> Skipping lines here. Um, some may have been benevolent or good spirited in intention, even if their actions are dangerous or questionable, which can make them accidental villains. Um, the short version, mad scientists or scientists, duh who let themselves be blinded um, to what's morally right or safe because they are self-centered assholes. Okay. I wrote that. That was me. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I skipped over the one part you wrote. No, no it's cool. Um, <laughs> so, so that's kind of the, that's the whole definition. That's not kind of the definition. That's, that's literally everything you need to know about that trope. Um, so we have some notable mad scientists from literature, which include the original Dr. Frankenstein and uh, Dr. Jekyll slash Mr. Hyde. Um, Mr. Er, Dr. Jekyll, not pictured. I like how Ryan stood in for that photo shoot, though. Hey. So was that hair, like, makeup, or did you just let it grow out? Oh, I just, I skipped, I skipped a shave. Yeah. 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 <laughs> did you say, was the hair makeup? I, I couldn't the hair still the be hair? Like, this is the skin wars. Yeah, it, like prosthetics is the word I wanted, oh, but my brain oh. was like, nope, there are too many people in the room for you to be right about something. Like hair molded out of Nickelodeon phloem. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we're, that's what we're um, for. Yeah, so those are like the original two mad scientists. Um, these two are pre-World War II, and World War II actually did a lot in terms of shaping the trope of the mad scientist because of all of the Nazi scientists that came into existence during that time period, including Joseph Mengele. Um, that is how you pronounce that name. He's so handsome. 
super babe. For all of you listening that can't see the slideshow, it says Joseph super babe Mengele. Yeah, that was his middle name. It's traditional German. Leave me alone. He looks scary. I don't see super babe. Well, yes, in I'm going to tell you what he did, and then he's going to be scary. I don't get where super babe comes in. It's not scary yet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He's scary. like a solid six and a half. That's good That's enough. Rating for a Nazi. Exactly. That that qualifies as super babe. Uh, my standards have lowered significantly since spending time on Tinder. So, that's where we are. <laughs> that's fair. I like my boyfriend's here. He's probably super appreciative of that you look nothing like a Nazi. Wait, he is blonde, and if Shut I'm not up. mistaken, he okay. does have blue so, eyes. Um, Doctor Joseph Mengele was a. German scientist, Nazi scientist during World War II who had an obsession with twins. Um, at one point, he sewed two Romani, gypsy, uh, not the accepted word, twins uh, together back to back in an attempt to create conjoined twins. That sounds more like a spider. Uh, you know what? <laughs> it's very human centipede. It is. Um, I actually thought of that a lot when I... Did you? I think about the human centipede a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> This is going great. Teeny centerfold of the human centipede. Yeah, yeah. Side note, didn't they do a, a reboot of that movie, or I guess it would be a sequel, where they did like 10 of them in a row? Yeah. Yes. Was that a real yeah. thing, or did I dream it that? It was the full sequence Oh. <laughs> oh, man, um, I keep doing that. Yeah, Sorry. don't. I need like one of those breath screens. What are they called? They have I, a I refer to it as a mic hat in private. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a windscreen. Um, and also the creation of the atomic bomb did a whole lot in shaping people's ideas of scientists. So after World War II, um, the trope of the mad scientist got a lot scarier, a lot more um, mean. Um, and it had a lot to do with, before that point, like Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll were sympathetic characters. Like you learned about them, you sympathized with them, they were humans. But after that, a lot of the mad scientist was more like science has gone too far as opposed to these people are going too far. Um, and I mean, people like that do exist to a certain extent, but not to that extent. Um, there are scientists who might be considered mad or eccentric, uh, even though they lack the appearance of this bro from the movie Metropolis, who basically <laughs> shaped the entire appearance of the traditional mad scientist, sans the white lab coat. Um, it wouldn't have played well on black and white, which I, I'm assuming is the reason. That would make sense. What's his name? Is Rot Wang. Wang. Yes. Um, it's Ro Twang, actually. I'm just kidding. I have no it's, idea. No matter how you pronounce it, Wang is still in it. <laughs> Ro, Ro Twang. Mm, no, no, not quite. <laughs> it's not playing. <laughs> um, so... We're going to talk more. About, you can ask us questions about fictional mad scientists later. We're going to do a Q&A, so think of your questions now so we don't look stupid. <laughs> Until then, uh, Ryan is going to tell you about our first real-life mad scientist, who is this gentleman with a great mustache. That is a beautiful mustache. It is. All right, so this, as it says on the slide, is Jack Parsons, though um, he went by John Whiteside Parsons also. Although his given name was Marvel Whiteside Parsons, which, like, why would you change that? Marvel is a fantastic name. That is beautiful. I don't know why he decided Jack was any better, but. Right. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't, he was, okay, so he was born in 1914. I don't think it was a huge issue yet, you know? Was that a comic book joke? I don't know. Maybe. Okay, I don't do comic books. That's not my thing. Um, died in 1952, so you only live to be 37, and we're going to find out why here in a minute. It's a solid age. I could die at 37. Um, so he was... Uh, most well known as a rocket engineer, specifically studying rocket propulsion research. He was also a chemist and a thelemite occultist. Um, for reference, that means that he is a follower of something called thelema. Thelema. Did we decide on the pronunciation of this last week? Ask Shane. He was there. Shane, <laughs> was it thelema or thelema? Uh, thelema. Thelema. All right. So he was into thelema. It's not thelema. Telema. Yes. I like that better. So he was We're a Telema occultist, <laughs> which um, is a religion, or um, as I researched it, a para-religion. So they're trying, but they're not there yet. Created by Alistair Crowley. Yes, that needs to be noted that wait, he started wait, this wait. whole thing. We got ah. a picture. So it's a religion started by this man. It's kind Triangles. of like if Michael Chiklis met my dad and oh. formed one person and then became the father of modern Satanism. Um, yeah, that's, that's, this is the religion that this guy followed. Um, he also was the entire reason that we were able to send human beings to the moon. So all of our knowledge of like rocket propulsion, all of that, that all came from Jack Parsons and he believed in this stuff. I thought it was the lady from Hidden Figures. It was. <laughs> well, okay, she wrote the code, but if he would never have Janelle invented. Monet. Just say it. <laughs> say it. Janelle Monet sent everyone to the moon. We're, we're giving credit where credit is due. But really, Jack Parsons is the one who did all of the um, work with rocket stuff I don't understand. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he. <clears throat> Okay, I'll, he founded the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and the Aerojet kind of, I guess, segment at NASA. So he's a very important person, but NASA likes to pretend he doesn't exist because of all the stuff I'm going to talk about today. We're just going to go back to him for a second. Yeah, yeah, let's look at that mustache. You need, you need the full face. Very to, Howard Stark. Yeah. <laughs> so he invented the first rocket engine to use a castable composite rocket propellant and advanced both liquid and solid fuel rockets. Can I ask you what that means? No, okay. Fuel <laughs> and rockets. That's all I got out of it. Stuff went to space. Yeah, so explosions in space. Um, he attended various universities, never got a degree. Um, mostly due to financial problems that arose during the Great Depression. So all of you that are having trouble paying for your college degree, don't worry because you can work at NASA without one. Oh. Um, so before he found Aleister Crowley, he dabbled in Marxism, which for those of you who don't know is basically a type of socialism that promotes a classless, equalized society. Can you just dabble in that? Is that a dabbling... It specifically said dabbled. Okay. I don't know how. Maybe he invented that too, dabbling in Marxism, because I don't know how you dabble in that. That's I, know, I know enough white activists on Facebook that dabble in Marxism and then, <laughs> and then naturally proceed so it's to, a thing. to yeah. tell them, huh? Yeah. Okay. yeah, I mean, it's a natural progression. Yeah. Dabbling in Marxism is going to be the name of my new band. There are so many good band names in this episode, so if anyone's looking for a band name, just keep your ears open. There's several. 
Uh, okay, so Equalized Society. All right. So after he finally did make the switch to... Thel well, how did you say it? I don't know. <laughs> Telema. 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 <laughs> Alistair Crowley personally appointed Parsons to the leader of the Ordo Templi Orientis, or the OTO. And if anyone wants to learn more about this cult... Um, we talked about it last week, which means that you guys can listen to it next week. There's a lot of butt stuff. There's a lot of butt stuff. So if you're into butt stuff, tune in to Afternoon to Find next week, because I'm going to talk about butt stuff a lot. Uh, Kevin Bacon came up at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm probably going to end up talking about butt stuff again today. And my bosses are here, so it's going to be a great day for it. Hi. It's time that you finally got that promotion to Senior Director of Butt Stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. I am, yeah, okay. I'm just going to blaze right over that. Um, so he replaced a man named Wilfred Talbot Smith in 1942. Um, because of this particular... They have lodges, kind of the way that like the Freemasonry thing goes, or, or if you're part Peaks. of the Elks lodges. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. Twin Peaks, that too. I've never watched it. Uh, I know. <laughs> I know. Just audibly gasp. <gasps> it's really dramatic. I know. It's on my list. It's you on my list. Vaudeville acting with that. Sh I know. That was. I don't know who it was, but that was a great gasp. Um, so because of. The particular lodge he joined, its infamy and his alleged illicit activities, and the fact that he wasn't really good about workplace safety, he was actually fired from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and Aerojet in 1944. So a year later, Parsons separated from his wife, who was named Helen, after having an affair with Helen's sister, Sarah. Dang. So this is going to get really confusing here, so follow along. So I was married to Helen, left Helen for her sister, Sarah. Should I get, like, a chart going? It might be smart. Um, it's actually not that complicated, but I love this. Um, he got what he deserved because Sarah ended up leaving him back for L. Ron Hubbard, the father of Scientology. So we're just going to take everyone weird I can think of. They all come into this episode just right now. Just a sidebar. I always thought it was L. Ron Hubbard, like Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like, tell, yeah, like Hugo Weaving. Yeah. Agent Smith. Yeah, that's who I, I pictured the entire time. And then I saw it spelled out, and I'm like, well, he's just a disappointing redhead. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's disappointing in more ways than, than just that. He would very be more excited. Like, I would be a If he were an elf, I would be way more into Scientology. Yeah. <laughs> just things to improve on. Um, Scientology, I just wanted to offer you some notes. Uh, more <laughs> elves. Uh, maybe less pyramid schemes. Bring it up to the next meeting. Um, I got lost this in my notes This is just making again. Ryan lose her spot. I keep losing time. my spot, and all I can read is apparently the way I wrote it in my notes says L. Ron fucking Hubbard, the father of Scientology, boom bitch. So my notes are not very professional. That was uh, the title on his placard on his yes. desk. L. Ron, is here L. Ron fucking Hubbard, boom, boom bitch. bitch. <laughs> That's a series of placards. It is. It's, it's a very big gravestone. It's a big desk. It, yeah. Um, is he dead? I just realized that. I've been considering he's him dead in my dead. whole life. Okay, he better I be dead. So. I really <laughs> hope so. We actually invited him. He's here. <laughs> um, okay, so as if that isn't weird enough, Jack Parsons actually ended up teaming, teaming up with L. Ron Hubbard, the man who fucked his woman, 
to begin doing weird rituals that were supposed to manifest an incarnation of a goddess known as Babylon. Yeah, that's pretty standard. Um, the process, the whole ritual they went through, became known as the Babylon working. Um, they got their ideas from Crowley, obviously. Um, they involved spilling animal blood over runes, chanting, waving swords around, and masturbating in order to impregnate the runes. Isn't that what you did on Saturday night? <laughs> <laughs> Every Saturday night. I'm part of a club. Yeah, you got to keep up with it. It's all yeah. about participation and just it keeping is. it going. If you guys listen in to the episode next week, you'll learn that there's like 13 steps. It's, it's really organized. It's, I, I encourage you all to join. It's so great. I read that he started the Babylon enchantment or whatever with the Sarah, the sister. Mm. And then when she left him, then he started working on the Babylon enchantment with yeah. L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. But that's what's funny is that it's he, so L. Ron Hubbard fucked his wife first and then they started doing these weird, freaky sex rituals together. And then, yeah, it, it, was, it was a whole it's thing. It's part of the healing process, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Nip Tuck. It's just so <laughs> Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. um, keep losing my spot. Oh, so after they did their special rituals, Parsons... Um, met a artist slash poet slash writer slash occultist named Marjorie Cameron, and they fell in love. That seems like love in quotation marks. Well, he thought that she actually was Babylon. Like, he thought that it worked and that he found her. And so the next step of the ritual is to get Babylon pregnant to make, like, magic babies. But he couldn't get her pregnant. So he 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 did all this work. He masturbated on his notes... He, he made Babylon, he manifested a deity, um, and then couldn't get her knocked up. Um, they ended up getting married, goes? because ultimate love story. Um. It's like when Harry met Sally with more jizz. <laughs> so much jizz. It's, it's like in every step of the 13. It's, it's a lot. Um, it's a lot of jizz. Um... Okay, so I know that a lot of you are probably really curious as to, you know, more details about the actual ritualistic gatherings they had. So I'm going to tell it to you, but if you guys are really squeamish and stuff, you might, like, cover your ears or something because it's pretty bad, and I can't believe I'm about to say this in front of my bosses. You just said jizz in front of your boss. The, the mystery is... Okay, I said jizz without being embarrassed in front of my bosses. It's that bad. So maybe plug your ears. Um, okay, so... Well, this was fun. Straight... <laughs> okay, this is a straight quote. This is not my words. Um, I just want everyone to know these are not my words. all ownership of what she's about to say. Not mine. Not mine. Um, Okay, so at these gatherings, Parsons watched as strange rituals were performed, most notably the Gnostic Mass, a weird take on the Catholic Mass. On a black and white stage stood an altar embossed with hieroglyphic patterns, a host of candles, and an upright coffin covered with a gauze curtain out of which the group's caped leader would appear. Poetry was read, swords were drawn, breasts kissed, and lances stroked. It was a... Wait, lances like lances or like lances? I don't know. This is a quote. I didn't write it. I just know that lances were stroked. (laughs) How many different kind of 
lances are there? Like there's like a like a sword. Well, or there's like, like well, medieval lances, lance. and then there's like <laughs> like late night TV lances. Okay, so either way, <laughs> dicks. I'm talking about dicks. dicks. Okay, but either way, whether they're stroking. Euphem- was it euphemistic? Euphemis- yeah. yeah, euphemistic lances, or even just actual lances, They're there's still, still something really it's weird still about weird. it. <laughs> it's still weird. <laughs> it was a highly charged sexual atmosphere, wine was drunk, and, okay, this is where it's gross, cakes made out of menstrual blood were consumed. Yep. Yeah. yeah I know that's something. <laughs> Jamie. <laughs> I knew you were gonna, I knew it. I knew it. I was waiting for it, I was so excited. Um, That's awful. It is, it's very awful. It just got really dark in here. Oh, no. Oh, okay, all better. Um, (laughs) So, while Parsons was the leader of the OTO, he ran a big wooden house mansion thing that he called the Parsonage. A wooden house is just a house. But it was big like a mansion, but it was made of wood like a house. It was like... Are mansions not made of wood? (laughs) Sorry. Who has a mansion? Anyone want to elaborate? Keep going. (laughs) Um, So a lot of people were at this parsonage all the time. Did you make people call it that? Like if they were going to come yeah, over? Yeah, they were going to the parsonage. It was not a house. It was not a mansion. It was not the club. It was the parsonage. The parsonage. I'm going to go visit the parsonage. they were going to the club. Well, considering some of the outfits they were wearing. Um, people often dressed in togas. They dressed as animals. Some wore masks. Others wore black robes. That often like there were time. visitors like witches. Members of the Manhattan Project, sci-fi writers including Jack Williams, Ray Bradbury, and uh, I'm not going to. He just went into to writers and stuff, and like rocket scientists. After you know, people dress as animals. Yeah, like, they no, were the they were in group. it. Yeah, they were. That's oh. what I'm saying. Ray Bradbury probably dressed as a cat. I'm assuming, cool. and awesome. went to this house to have weird kinky sex with. You know, other all science fiction writers are into some weird shit. That's, That's what a pre like it's a prerequisite. Exactly. I mean, didn't L. Ron Hubbard start as a sci-fi he writer? Doesn't count. I, I think he ended as a sci-fi writer too. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> the whole time he might not know, but the whole time was His sci-fi. Through and through. Yeah, it was a, it was a straight line of an arc. Just. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so after he was kicked out of the jet propulsion lab, um, idle hands turned to more intense magic, spelled with a CK, and that's been bothering you know me this whole time. fucking serious when there's a K in there. Yeah, magic. <laughs> he was actually worrying other members of the OTO, which is impressive. Um, after being more or less kicked out of the OTO, the Jet Propulsion Lab, Aerojet, NASA, L. Ron Hubbard ran away with his wife and $20,000 of Parsons' money. So Parsons became depressed and worked at gas stations. <laughs> he made explosions for Hollywood, ultimately fizzled out. Um, uh, except for one particular explosion that happened in his home that was the reason he died at age 37. So, um, so yeah. There you have it. There's Jack well, Parsons. Jack Parsons. I have to say it doesn't, I mean, I think I've just spent so much time in Portland, but it doesn't sound that weird. Like all of that whole yeah. vibe. Well, it's more just the fact that he did so much for the history and like forward movement of NASA. And like, he was a very important man. 
He was also like a fucked up individual, so. I just love that also like while Janelle Monet was trying to get to use that restroom, <laughs> he was over here doing like teleportation butt magic. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's level 13. Yeah, you guys listen next week, you'll enjoy it. <laughs> I like how you're just hard promoing our next episode. Exactly. Um, um, just, I'm just going to go ahead and throw another promo in there, but we actually had a Shane Hosey of the Hosey Hustle, so go listen yeah, to well, his podcast as yeah. well, where he has taken both ideas from Emily and me, so if you guys want to hear more of our stupid thoughts, you can probably find them on the Hosey Hustle. See, now I don't have to run an ad after this. Ta-da! Um, okay, so... Um, we're going to talk about a man named Stubbins Firth, or Stubbins Firth, if you're going to read that phonetically. <laughs> See, this guy I like. Yeah, he is the best. Um, so he did all of his weird shit before he was actually a doctor. Um, he was a med student, so he had nothing to lose. Not a medical license, nothing. Um, so... Yeah, we're not discriminating around here. Um, no one is super squeamish. Like, this is going to be more gross than, like, Ryan's menstrual blood cake thing. I don't know. That's pretty gross. This um, is sick as hell. Even if someone said yes, I'm still going to talk about it. So, okay, we're cool. Okay. Good. Uh, so, Stubbins Firth was born in New Jersey on Feptem- <laughs> September. September. Fe- February. That's a month. <laughs> <What>? Fe- <laughs> it sounds like a bad, um, like, uh, uh, store sale kind of idea. Come on, everybody, it's Feb Timber. <laughs> Bogo at Feb Timber. Uh, this is the part where we learned that Emily can't actually read. <laughs> he was born on February 2nd, 1782, um, which is why this is the only fucking picture I could find of him. Are we sure that's not like, I George check. Washington? I know, he looks like Thomas Jefferson, oh, but it's, it's yeah. the Bubbins for Firth. The last existing photograph of Stabubbins. Fuffer. Fuffer. Is it? Is it? Not unless someone wants I know, to do some fan art. I know, it does look like they were going to put him the last on like one. a $3 bill or something. <laughs> um, he doesn't deserve it, and we're going to find out why. Uh, I would argue he does deserve it. <laughs> so his birthplace isn't exactly important other than the fact that he was born. Um, I felt like I had to build up the man because the information about him is limited. So we're just going to do some filler. So after a man named John Whisper discovered that Stubbins had a flair for medicine, he recommended that he study under his brother, Dr. Kaspar Wistar of Philadelphia. Did you just say that the guy's last name was Whisper? Wistar. Oh, that's not what I heard. And Casper? Yeah. Um, no, you right. heard that one right. Okay. Yeah. All right. I didn't name these people. I just heard Whisper and Casper in the same set of names, and it, from it being that it's, old, it's Dr. Kaspar Wister. This sounds so made up right now. Stubbins for Firth with Caspar Wister. Caspar Wister. What? It's like um, Twilight. This was the, the early Twilight. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, where the fuck was I? All right. Whisper. So, according to an article written about him, Firth was skilled in programming his experiments, in preparing his protocols, and in formulating conclusions for publication. Um, the yeah. So he was good at what he did for the most part. Um, he just got weird after a little while. And so I'm glad you asked what his experiments were. Thank you. Hey, what were his experiments? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so um, 
the yellow fever epidemic of 1793 in Philadelphia was a huge deal because it killed like 60% of the population. As epidemics do. Yeah, I, I'm aware. They're not. <laughs> it's very weird that there's a room of like tens of people that I have hey, to explain yes. this stuff to instead of just like you. It is a little yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, so the there's no cutting here. The yellow fever epidemic was a huge deal um, in Philadelphia, which was the capital of the United States, making it an even bigger deal than if it was Philadelphia today. If it was Philadelphia today, no one would give a shit. <laughs> the, the cream cheese people. Okay, yeah. They have cream cheese going for them. Do we erase them? <laughs> I'm sorry, that was very insensitive to Philadelphians and cream cheese. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the national government fled the city because of this epidemic, including President George Washington, and additional yellow fever epidemics traveled along steamboat routes from New Orleans, routes? Routes, doesn't matter, from New Orleans, <laughs> and it caused somewhere between 100,000 and 150,000 deaths, which is a lot of people in the, you know, 1800s. It's a lot of people now. I you said 1700s. Well, he was born in 1782, but by the time this thing was a thing, it was the 1800s. Okay. That's how time works. Check. Got it. <laughs> Sorry. History, not my thing, her thing. Years don't make sense before, like, 1980. They're just, like, all bleed together. It's all one year. It Man, all happened at I, once. Remind me to tell you about the Vietnam War. <laughs> 1970s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right about then. Right? Uh, Forrest Gump years. Okay. Do you know... In the book, he goes to the moon. Yes, it was not in the sequel. Like Wait, there's Forrest a book? Gump and Friends. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't read. It's based on a book. What? <laughs> I need to find this book. How did I not know this? I'm assuming it's in any library because it's popular enough that they based a movie on it. This is embarrassing because I work at the library on Wednesdays and my boss from the library is also here. <laughs> she just sent out a mass email to the office like, "Come watch me unimpress you." <laughs> I actually. Funny story, I drafted an email to send to my boss at the library and was about to send it and say, hey, you should forward this to all the volunteers, let them know the live show's coming up. And I was like, no, that's embarrassing and I don't really want all the volunteers to come and now I'm really glad I never sent it. <laughs> so, uh, leading from Ryan doesn't know that there's a Forrest Gump book. Um, we're gonna talk about the yellow fever some more because fuck it. It's a viral disease. <laughs> that causes fever, chills, loss of appetite, nausea, muscle pains, particularly in the back, and headaches. Symptoms typically improve within five days, and about 15% of people within a day of improving, the fever comes back, abdominal pain occurs, and liver damage begins, causing the yellow skin, hence name. Yeah, thank you for that. No, okay. <laughs> I was trying to make fetch happen, and I couldn't make fetch happen. Oh my gosh. Um, it if liver damage occurs, the risk of bleeding and kidney problems also increase and people die. Well, that would explain why it was an epidemic. Again. So basically, if you had this back in olden times, like your chances of living weren't great. And best case, kidney damage and you were yellow. Like that Coldplay song. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, having observed that yellow fever was more prevalent during the summer but disappeared during the winter, Stubbins, he's back, um, concluded that it was not a contagious disease and instead he theorized that it was caused by an excess of stimulants such as heat, food, and noise. This is going to go well for him. 
So these people just all have really bad anxiety, is what you're saying? Summer anxiety. Oh. Like that Lana Del Rey song. Yeah, oh, sadness. Summer, summer anxiety. The hit yeah. single. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hit. I don't know how you missed it. <laughs> Too busy not reading Forrest Gump. <laughs> Clearly. Shame. And obviously not listening to Lana Del Rey. So. Yes. Uh, so uh, our, our boy Stubbins was going to go to pretty extreme lengths to prove his theory um, with the added bonus of grossing everyone the fuck out in the process. This is where it gets really exciting. <laughs> it is. Um, his first trials involve feeding or injecting animals with black vomit. That means it had blood in it due to gastrointestinal distress. I'm glad you explained. I was about to ask. Um, that he had harvested from yellow fever patients in the late stages of the disease. Gross. But these animals failed to prove Firth's theory. Um, and here's a quote from his notes. Oh boy. I'm not going to do a voice. I was going to. And then do I a voice. No. <laughs> <laughs> Experiment one. A small-sized dog was confined in a room and fed upon bread soaked in black vomit. At the expiration of three days, he became so fond of it that he would eat the ejected matter without bread. It was therefore discontinued. Discontinued like like a product line? Like He stopped oh, giving the dog puke. Man, that black bread didn't sell too well. Nope. Um, it's probably all the person vomit. Ew. My cat eats vomit all the time. Yeah. <laughs> not, not mine. Is it black? <laughs> Sometimes. She oh. eats the other cat's vomit. Why is that cat's vomit black? You need to take one of them to the vet. <laughs> Maybe both. a diet issue. I don't know. Black? I'm a noble Portlander who is <laughs> fun employed. <laughs> and that's why the cat hasn't gone to the vet. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so Firth also tried other methods of infecting dogs and cats, again without any results. One dog died 10 minutes after having an ounce of vomit injected into its jugular vein. Oh. <gasps> okay, well, <laughs> these are better reactions than I ever hoped for. Um, I want this every time. I thought this was going to be terrible doing it in front of an audience, but I love having people go, aww, and like, ew. It makes These are so normal people with normal reactions to the fact that he was injecting these dogs with vomit. It's really helpful because I've done so much research. Re research. <laughs> I've done so much research uh, on really <laughs> fucked up stuff that, like, I'm not even disturbed by it anymore, and sometimes I can't tell what's gross. So you guys now being there to help gross. me know what's is gross. It, is it research, or is it like that thing where you're, like, reading about, like, toe fungus at 5 in the morning <laughs> on Wikipedia? Um, uh, it's, 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 it's called, like, a pedia. those two things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I um, did the FBI yeah. is watching me. Yeah. Research today. <laughs> um, so uh, he did that experiment with other dogs that remained healthy. So uh, after five inconclusive experiments, he stopped working with animals and began to experiment on himself. You know, like you do. Oh. <laughs> totally. Stububbins it's a normal progression. Um, another quote from Stubbins. On October 4th, <laughs> 1802, I made an incision in my left arm midway between the elbow and the wrist. Could someone demonstrate where that would be? Thank you. <laughs> uh, so as to draw a few drops of blood... Into the incision, I introduced some fresh, fresh black vomit. A slight degree of inflammation ensued, which entirely subsided in three days, and the wound healed up readily. That doesn't mean that it's a good thing to do. Well, he wasn't going to stop there. Um, he opened up a cot on his arm, smeared vomit on it, for anyone who wasn't following that, like, 1802 flowery-ass language. Uh, 
Uh, Firth continued filling himself with the vomit of dying yellow fever patients, injecting it into his veins, under his cuticles, into his eye. Oh, <laughs> gross! Yeah. Uh, for his tenth experiment, he fried up three ounces of vomit in a pan and inhaled the steam. Oh. <laughs> Do you think he was really doing this for science? <laughs> I don't know. Um, my dad works in a prison, and he's told me stuff that sounds a lot like this that they do in their cells. So it sounds a little bit more like we talked about prison this crazy. Orange is the new black bile. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to get high. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's like when we were talking about that lady that injected her baby with poop are we was that a thing? oh yeah that was that was um, when we were talking about munchausen by proxy in the obscure mental illness episode again shameless advertising so if you want to hear about a lady injecting her own baby with poop listen to that one who doesn't and if you want to just hear about poop in general we have one we called have the one shit show that. and you can listen to that too yeah okay so yeah uh people do that stuff um fried up his own vomit inhaled steam next he constructed his own vomit <laughs> sauna what? <laughs> uh, sitting at length in a small closet with six, and I like how they specified the amount, six ounces of steaming vomit. Well, I mean, a recipe would have to have. <laughs> Firth eventually cut to the chase and decided to take his ba black vomit directly through the mouth. And here's your... About goddamn time. Here's your foyer. Here's your guest bath. Here's the vomit sauna. <laughs> It's Swedish. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yeah, so he drank it, as in put it in directly into his face hole. Another quote from the man himself. After repeating the last two experiments several times with, and with precisely the same results, I took half an ounce of the black vomit immediately after it was ejected from the patient and diluting it with an ounce and a half of water, swallowed it. It's not enough water. It's never enough water. <laughs> There's no amount of water that is enough water. The taste was very slightly acidic. It neither produced nausea or pain. Why not? Should have. <laughs> I think there was something wrong with uh, Stubbubbins here. Yes. Um, my pulse, which was beating 76 in a minute, moderately strong and full, was not altered either in force or frequency. No more effect was produced than if I had taken water alone. He ate vomit. I feel like there should have been, if, like, something. Something. <laughs> Anything. Just like a gag, a single tear. Well, okay, so he didn't talk about the fact that, like, his eyes were bleeding and... Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So but Maybe he, that was, like, a sign of good luck. Yeah. Yeah. So he didn't think it was. Oh, bleeding. I bleeding mean, eyeballs. So yeah. No, at least no he had deal. the baseline of just ingesting water. Like he did yeah. his his. Yeah. I mean, work. he went through the scientific method there as was a, one should. There was a placebo group. <laughs> uh, Firth remained in perfect health, but was not the. He didn't give up. Couldn't. Like he was in this. I just, I want to make a note really quick that Emily pulled me aside earlier and told me she wanted to do Stubbins last because she wanted to end on a light note. So, this is your light note. There's no butt stuff in this. That's a light note. He's eating vomit. Is that worse than butt stuff? Yes. Um, so, he decided to repeat these experiments, and I quote, a great number of times. Eventually drinking several doses of vomit, half an ounce to two ounces without dilution. 
but even this had no effect, leaving Firth to concede that yellow fever was not carried in human vomit. 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 Did I ask you? <laughs> Uh, he did eventually graduate from medical school. Mm. I mean, he put the work he in. He shouldn't have. Um, and according to the very short biography I found on him, and I quote, immediately after graduation, he proceeded to sea and spent several years touring the world and from his observations submitted essays to the Medical Repository of New York. He eventually married into an aristocratic family and settled in Charleston. Uh, so he was wrong. He was so wrong. The wrongest. Um, yellow fever is contagious. Obviously. Just apparently not to stububbins. <laughs> uh, yellow fever is highly contagious and is spread through human plasma via mosquito bites, which is kind of like the plague where no one really put it together that the rats were doing it. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, this was proven by Carlos Finlay, a Cuban scientist, uh, 60 years after the death of our stububbins Firth. How much vomit did Carlos eat? Um, I would assume none. Someone took care of that legwork for him. Did you happen to look into why Stububbins Fafirth never got yellow fever? Yes, he was using the bodily fluids of late stage patients, which isn't contagious. So you start contagious and you become less contagious as you start dying? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, all of this work, it, didn't, it wasn't for nothing. He did garner the nickname of the vomit drinking doctor. <laughs> Rightfully so. Um, how are we doing on time? Anyone? Okay. I don't yeah. know what that means. I'm I don't speak stage talk. He just waved a phone at me. I'm going to assume that that's we need to shut up. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is where you can find us on the interwebs. Um, would you like to tell us where we can find you? If you search for the Carla Rossi, I'm sure something shows up. It's Carla with a C. Carla with a C. Carla with a C. Yeah. It's not Carlos. Yeah, it's not Carla with a K. Not Carla with a K. I'm That's my stepmom's name. No. Oh, Carla with a K, yeah. Oh. Carla. Stepmom. I feel like you have to say it a, with a special Step. emphasis. Carla. She said, hi, Carla. Carla, yeah. Merry Christmas, Carla. Carla, yeah. Are you spelling yeah. Christmas with She's a K? prettier than me, too. Well, kind of sucks. In some cultures. Huh. Kwanzaa, then. Okay. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> I'm on board for any of it. You have a website, correct? Yes, thecarlarossi.com. <laughs> um, are you doing any shows in the near future? You know, next up, I am doing queer horror Death Becomes Her uh, yeah. at the Historic Hollywood Theater on August 24th, but there's no point in trying to buy tickets because it's sold out a month in advance. I'm glad we brought Woo. it up. But we're adding a second night, so if you look it up on yes. yeah. Um, yeah, so that is our show, I'm Very Sorry. <laughs> and we're gonna bring Kelly back, but she's so beautiful. Yeah, she is. Um, all right, and she's much better at closing than we yes, are. Let's, Bye. Let's get on here. Bye. Give <laughs> it up one more time for Afternoon of Fun, everybody. And also give it up for both our shows tonight for Reboot, Reuse, Recycle, Afternoon of Fun for the amazing River City Podcast Federation. And give it up for yourselves. You guys were amazing. Thank you so much. Real quick, I want to remind you that we do these recordings once a month. So come back next month. The next one is August 29th. And that's going to be a recording of the podcast Carnival and a very special episode. It'll be a crossover episode. 
So please check that out. Make sure to listen to these episodes and so many more. And thank you so much. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.